Show me the way to go home. That is Luke's, Uncle Luke's, number one objective, because home is where God is. That's just the simple fact that Luke sees, and he just wants to share with us what all of the 12, the apostles, the disciples, the ladies, the, the gentlemen, everybody wanted is to just pass the information along because this stuff is too good. And it is so good that it is time for a party. In fact, party is exactly what this passage, Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 39, is all about. Party. I love that movie, Peanut Butter Falcon, and Zach hits the nail on the head. The number one rule is party. Party is actually God's idea. God is not the fun sucker. God's not the killjoy. Humans are. Humans are the fun suckers. So let's come on in and check it out. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 39. Welcome to the Biblical channel. We are so glad you're here because, well, we just want people to read their Bible, say their prayers, get together with other people, have a little bit of a party, get your favorite beverage, your favorite food together, and talk God. We need more people talking God. We need to feel more confident about talking God. The Bible is the best source of conversation we could ever bring into our lives. Talking God, man. We should be talking God like we talk sports, like we talk fishing, like we talk fashion, like we talk everything. We should be talking God. It's such good stuff. And the Bible gives us, you know, a thousand and times a thousand great conversations that we should be having in our own minds and with other people as well. Well, anyhow, God's Bible is God playing out the best story we could ever possibly imagine. Great stories is the substance of the human life. The human drama is all about collecting stories and finding the stories that make us the happiest. And that's exactly what the Bible does. Pulls in God's story, and God's story ought to make us the happiest. So much so that we want to party. Absolutely. And Jesus doesn't shy away from a party because God doesn't shy away from a party. The unfortunate thing is that human beings imagine God much like ourselves. We are the great pretenders. We are the ones who project our image onto God, and that's how we get God so messed up. We need to hear the Bible. We need to hear Jesus. We need to hear it so that we get the record straight. And so the Bible is God playing out the best story, and there is absolutely nothing that we shouldn't love in what God gives us. So anyhow, the Bible fights our imagination of God being the cosmic killjoy by showing us that God is actually the life of the party, man. Absolutely. Well, anyhow, let's just get to the passage. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray simply the way Mary teaches us how to pray. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He looks on the humble estate of his servant. He's done great things for us in his holy name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is for everybody. And then Jesus teaches us how to pray, Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. As we for, uh, forgive our debts, forgive us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's the rub. We come here to see Jesus and him only. We live in a world full of pretenders and bona fide sinners and believers. And we got to sort through this all so that we get the story straight. Everybody walk in this land. Anyhow, um, our passage. Let's just give it a quick read and jump right in. It's a fun scene. Um, it's a fun episode, uh, an episode of reality. Um, there's nothing, nothing to make up here and plenty to learn from. Anyhow, we are told after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. Leaving everything, Levi rose and followed Jesus. Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there were a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. The Pharisees and the scribes came along and grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, Disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, Come on, man. No, I didn't say that. He said, Can you make a wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable, Jesus did. No one tears a piece of new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. No one after drinking old wine desires new, he says. The old is good, they say. Well, anyhow, there's our passage, and there's an awful lot going on there. And so let's just take it from the top. Number one, number one, the scene shifts to Jesus and his authority. So we have seen Jesus' authority over evil. We've seen Jesus' authority over sickness. We've seen Jesus' authority um, over creation itself. And we've already had a glimpse of this, but we see how Jesus has authority over a person's life, that his words, that his person was compelling. When Jesus comes to Levi and he says, you know what? I want you to follow me. Levi says, yes, sir. Yeah. I'd love to. I'm sure it made no economic sense. I'm sure it didn't make sense to anybody that Levi would give up such a, you know, great position. In fact, the position of a tax collector was, was guaranteed wealth. And it's almost certain that Levi came from a fairly well-to-do family and they got him this post. And it also meant that Levi was an outcast because the Israelites couldn't stand the tax collectors because really Levi was doing Rome's work. And uh, the movie The Chosen really, I think, portrays uh, Levi here pretty well. We also know him as Matthew. 
you know, Jesus was a big fan of giving, you know, his disciples new names. And, you know, Simon, he later called Peter. And, and here, Levi is going to pick up the name Matthew. Well, anyhow, same guy. But we do see that Jesus' authority and his words are just really compelling. People dig him. People dig his words. People dig his vibe, so much so that they're willing to chuck their lives and follow him, which is the right response. But also, as part of the right response, we see very clearly here, biblical evidence, biblical evidence, right there in the pages of the Bible, that the right response to Jesus that Levi shows us is to have a party and invite your friends and to talk. Yeah, absolutely. So Levi makes him a great feast. Feasts have food and drink, and feasts have your friends and people that you know. And so there's a large company of people that come over to, uh, to Levi's place, which also indicates that Levi has probably a pretty substantial place that this large company would be able to gather in and have a feast, food, drink, you know, good times. That is the substance of life. I don't know about you, but I love a good feast. I love food. I love drink. I love it all. It's wonderful. Um, in fact, that you know, the best moments I've ever had, the most intimate moments I've ever had are, are over meals and over drinks with other people. So anyhow, Jesus doesn't say, whoa, we can't have a party. Jesus says, no, nah, party sounds great, Levi. Let's do it. Let's talk to your buddies. Let's, let's in, you know, show me your friends. So the proper response, the biblical evidence here to Jesus is, is not only to follow him, but to have a party. It's a very festive response, and a festive response is what our response to Jesus should look like. Anyhow, the contrast enters the scene, and I don't know if you remember them old movies with Clint Eastwood called Every Which Way But Loose and Every Which Way You Can, but I love that old motorcycle gang that comes in. Every time they come into the scene, it's like, wah, 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 you know, and, and you just know, they're like the killjoys of the scene. They come in there bunch of bumbling idiots. And that's the way I imagine the Pharisees and the scribes coming into the scene. And they are, they are grumbling and they're grumbling at Jesus' disciples. So it's, it's interesting that these guys are, are seemingly a bit cowardly. You know, they don't hit Jesus head on. They, they want to pick away his disciples and make his disciples second guess they're following this Jesus character, you know? Um, but anyhow, Jesus steps onto the scene. And he says, well, anyhow, they're grumbling at his disciples. And they say specifically, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus barges in and he says, let me answer that question. Those who have no need of a physician don't need a physician. But those who are sick, they need a physician. He says, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus calls these guys out. He says, you're the fun suckers. You're the killjoys. You know, these guys have come onto the scene, you know, accusing Jesus of having too much fun, uh, accusing Jesus of, of having a good time. They're fun suckers. They're killjoys. And it is very clear here that the way that Jesus responds to them, that I haven't come to call the righteous, because remember, they weren't invited to the party. Uh, but he says, I haven't come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance, which is a very interesting way to phrase this, because 
clearly these Pharisees and scribes see themselves as righteous. That was their whole mentality, that they were the righteous ones of Israel, and that everybody who was proper Israel needed to act like they did and be in their circle. And these guys, Jesus and, and his cronies, are not in their circle. And so automatically there's this sense of self-righteousness that Jesus kind of uh, prods them on. He says, oh, don't, don't worry, you weren't invited because you're... You're the righteous, I guess. Um, and I'm just looking for sinners who will repent. Now, a good Pharisee would know that Jesus just called them out, my friends. He called them out big time because Israel's whole purpose in existence as a nation that God had set up through Moses is that the whole nation would be a nation of priests that would serve the other nations. You hold, Israel was supposed to be a mission-oriented nation reaching out. And instead, Israel has become this, you know, this exclusionary place. And the Pharisees and the scribes are super exclusionary in everything that they do. And so, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes have this sense of self-righteousness that they have indeed a righteousness that, you know, causes God to approve of them. Jesus isn't necessarily telling them that God doesn't approve of them. In fact, I think just the opposite. I think Jesus is very, you know, every, I think he always has a smile on. And I think he's smiling when he says this because he's saying, oh, you know, you know, you, you're already righteous. We need to find people who need some righteousness. And that should be a wake up call to the Pharisees because they should know they're the teachers of the law. They should know more than anybody that God actually called them to mingle with the nations, to be part of the nations, to have a positive impact on the world around. And they have been anything it's also an important reminder that elsewhere throughout the pages of the Bible, we are confronted with this reality. Self-righteousness, self-righteousness is not a thing. There's only God's righteousness. And God's righteousness is following God's words, following God's heart, following God's mentality. And, and so the Pharisees are being called out because they are not following the Spirit of God. They are not following the words of God that tell them to get out into the world. Yes, indeed, they're probably good people. And yes, indeed, they're probably okay with God. But Jesus makes the point clear that if you're relying on your self-righteousness, that's not a thing. That's not a thing with God. There is only God's righteousness, and you have to take the whole thing. You can't just piecemeal it. And the whole thing means you should be getting out into the marketplace and encouraging sinners to repent and re encouraging people to come into the fold, not keeping people out of the fold. Well, anyhow, the scene now shifts and, and then the, the disciples, you know, come back or, you know, I'm sorry, the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes get cranky with Jesus and they say, well, the, the disciples of John fast often and pray and say their prayers. And so the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours just eat and drink. Once again, who's the fun sucker here? They are accusing Jesus of having too much of a good time. Here you and your disciples are, you know, eating and drinking and having fun. Well, that's the point. Jesus, you know, it says that's the point. We're supposed to be having fun. We're supposed to be having fun with God. We're supposed to be learning new things about God. We're supposed to be bringing in God and putting God on as a brand new thing. It should be exciting. It should be fresh. It should be, well, it should be awesome. But instead, 
you guys are acting like the fun suckers and the killjoys. In fact, what they want is for Jesus to get into the box. You know, the box that human beings always seem to be able to create very well for God. There is this, you know, endemic, you know, in humanity that we are always making a little box for God. And then we like God in a box and we keep God in our little box and we visit God in our little box every once in a while. But the fact is, is how in the world are you supposed to put God, the real God of the world, into a box when you're traveling on a planet going around the sun at over 100,000 mile an hour and that you're spinning at 1,000 mile an hour and we're supposed to put God in a little box? No, 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 no. You're supposed to be in the box of God. God's not supposed to be in the box of you. And so these these you know Pharisees and scribes are are, are accusing Jesus of being un, you know unauthentic or not the real thing because they don't act like they do, which is throughout the course of Christian history and Israelite history, it is a problem that we see because it's a problem in humanity. It's it's not just something that Israel makes a mistake on. It's it's a problem that hu human beings have. We always tend to put God in this little box. And when people don't act like us, well, we end up getting annoyed. And when we're annoyed, we certainly aren't doing God's work. No, no, no. Jesus uh, turns them on their heads. And now he says, let me tell you a few things here, boys. He says to them, can you make a wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days are coming when the bridegroom is taken away from them. They'll fast in those days. Catch what Jesus just did here. Jesus just put himself in the, in the very center of a party. He put himself in the center of a wedding party. He put himself in the position of, hey, all these people around me are here to marry me. I, I got bad news for you guys. You know, God messes, messes around with us with our genders. You know, he asks the ladies to believe that they are sons of God. But he also asks the men to believe that they are the bride of God. And Jesus, and the, the, you know, what Jesus is saying is the proper response to following me, to following Jesus, to following God is a party, a wedding party. A wedding party has a bride and a groom, a bridegroom and a bride. And Jesus is labeling himself as the bridegroom and, and his disciples are the brides. And he said, hey man, Surely you wouldn't expect, you wouldn't come into a wedding ask and tell everybody that they need to fast or, and pray. No, no, no. It's, it's time for a celebration. It's time for a festive atmosphere. Because in Jesus' perspective, he is God and he is here. And when God is here, God is the life of the party. Jesus, in, in what he just said, is he says, I am the life of the party, gentlemen. You need to get your party hats on. You need to get your party blowers on. You need to join the party, my friends, because you're on the outside looking in. You need to consider yourself marrying me, following me, which is a, a, a massive you know, poke in the chest that Jesus just, just gave them. And we do already see that he is annoying the religious crowd. He has got a bee in their bonnet, man, like no other. And then he adds insult to injury. He says, hey, let me tell you a parable. 
Nobody tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he tears the new garment. And the piece of the uh, new won't even match the old's. Jesus is likening himself, again, using the party atmosphere of a wedding. He's likening himself to a new suit, to a new dress, to a new piece of clothes. And, and of course, he likens himself to a new piece of clothes because we're supposed to put this new clothes on. And when you buy new clothes, you don't cut pieces off of the new clothes to patch up the old. No way. If you want to keep the old, you have to find patches of old stuff to patch them with. It makes no sense. And that's what he says. Nobody, nobody tears a piece of a new garment and puts it on an old garment. And once again, this is a challenge to everybody, not just to the Pharisees, but to you too, to me too. And that is Jesus is a new suit and you don't tear pieces of it away to put on something old. You don't keep your old box when it comes to Jesus for God. If you've got a box for God, you need to chuck the box, period. And you need to put the whole garment of Jesus Christ on. You need to be with the bridegroom as the bride. And so Jesus doesn't let up. He says, hey, by the way, he said, no one puts new wineskin new wine into old wineskins either because those old wineskins are already stretched and, and new wine is going to make, you know, those old wineskins burst. And so what is, what is Jesus basically saying? He is basically saying that there is a new Israel in town and I am it. He is likening himself to a new wine, which by the way, you know, the Bible doesn't have a problem with wine, alcohol, and the proper usage of it. To make, you know, a good party a good party, Jesus' first miracle in the book of Matt and in Levi's, um, you know, gospel is, is the, uh, the Jesus turning the water into wine. And here he likens himself to wine. You know, it doesn't sound like God's very against alcohol if he likens himself to new wine, and new wine needs a brand new wineskin. The wineskin that you will put the new wine of Jesus Christ in is like a whole new garment. It's like a whole new thing. You got to get rid of your little God box once and for all. We also need to be a, a, a very much aware that, you know, Jesus is calling everybody out, saying, the reality of my freshness, the reality of my newness needs to challenge every single conception you have. Some of it might work, but it only works because the new is making it work too. And so Jesus, you know, statements here, um, the audience would have gotten what he was saying. And it is making the further point that I am the new Israel. I am God. And again, you know, this is the way that Jesus says that he's God. You know, he uses his, his uh, Old Testament references, etc. And then Jesus really puts the icing on the cake and he says, yeah, he's like, yeah, no one after drinking old wine desires new because they say the old is good. And, and it may sound a little complicated to us, but all Jesus is saying is, is that we are the fun suckers. We're the killjoys. We're the ones who are comfortably smug. We're the ones who are comfortably numb as the Pink Floyd uh, song sings. We, you know, we yell tradition as if God has to meet up with our traditions. And, and we, we work in the field of cognitive dissonance, dis, 
dissonance and confirmation bias that we only bring into our box that which is already in the box. And when Jesus said, yeah, no one, no one seems to, uh, no one who has old wine seems to want new wine. They're comfortable with the old wine. And that is the worst human condition that we have that, you know, we do it. Why? Because we, because we find somebody else in history that does it. We do it. Why? Because, well, that's the way we've always done it. We do it. Why? Because of tradition. And sad to say that, uh, Haim uh, Topol, the uh, lead actor in the uh, very fine musical Fiddler on the Roof, has passed, which makes me re reminds me of the the tension in the Fiddler on the Roof. How how tradition just doesn't make its way forward. Tradition oftentimes keeps progress from actually happening. And then we as human beings pretend like it's God who doesn't want progress, but it's actually God who is screaming to us that we need progress. Progress is God's idea. Partying is God's idea. God wants us to make progress. God wants us to, you know, make room for party and joy. God is the author of joy. God is the author of progress and making progress. He is not a progressive, mind you, but he is the author of progress because he invents it. The old, you know, we have this bad habit of saying in with the old and out with the new, and that absolutely kills progress. And that's what the Fiddler of the Roof toys with is this tension of how the traditions just don't seem to move forward or allow things to move forward. And, and that can be a bad thing. It's sometimes the traditions are great and they're fun. As long as the traditions are joyous and uproarious and keeping us all having a good time together, they're fine. But when the traditions are keeping us from seeing, the stark realness of God in front of us. And that is the scene, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is calling them out, my friends. He's saying, traditions will actually keep you from seeing who I am. And you will try to take little pieces of me and fit it into your old box, but you won't take the whole thing, like the, the, uh, like the garment analogy. And he says, man, you need to take, you need to drink the whole substance of my wine. I am progress. Progress is God's idea. Party is God's idea. And please take note that this scene makes this point very clearly. So the next time you hear some smart aleck making it sound like God is the killjoy, please remind them, humans, humans are the killjoys of this life. Humans are the problematic group. It is not God. God is there with the festival. God is there with the wedding. God is there with the party ready to go for you and your life. God is there to bring joy. And overall, I can be critical to the Christian community because they have made mistakes. But overall, the Christian community has done a great job. Compared to everybody else, Christians have done a better job than any group on the planet. Christians are joyful. Christians are happy people. Christians are, are, you know, healthy people because we, we look forward to what God is doing and we allow God to pick us up when this world knocks us down. Well, anyhow, like Zach said in the peanut butter Falcon, what's the number one rule? Party. Jesus makes that point clear. I am here. And that means there should be a party. When you follow Jesus, it is appropriate to join the party, to be festivus. Anyhow, we'll catch you next time.